0: Welcome to Rule of Law Talk, a podcast series of the World Justice Project designed to share the latest learning about the rule of law, what it is, how it works, and how we can strengthen it. My name is Elizabeth Anderson, Executive Director of the World Justice Project, and I'll be your host for today's Rule of Law Talk. The topic for today's Rule of Law talk is the recently launched 2020 World Justice Project Rule of Law Index, our organization's annual study of the state of the rule of law around the world. I'm delighted to welcome today's guests, our very own Chief Research Officer Alejandra Ponce, Rule of Law Index Director Alicia Evangelidis, and Criminal Justice Research Director Amy Griskowitz. This is the WJP Brain Trust behind the index, a monumental and important exercise in data collection and analysis that takes place every year. They're here to tell us about the index, what it measures, how we gather the data, and their key insights about the 2020 findings. Welcome to Alex, Alicia, and Amy. Great to have this opportunity to discuss the index with you and share your insights with our listeners.
1: Thank you, Betsy.
2: Thank you for sitting down with us. Thanks for having us. It's
0: great to, great to have you. So let's start with the basics. What is the Rule of Law Index, and what does it measure? Let me um, turn to you, Alex.
1: Thank you, Betsy. Uh, well, the, the Rule of Law Index is a quantitative tool to measure adherence to the rule of law in practice around the world. It is a thermometer, if you want, uh, of the rule of law around the world. As you can imagine, measuring the rule of law, it's complex. The rule of law has many aspects, has many different manifestations. And as a result, in order to measure it, we need to measure all these different aspects and all these different manifestations of the rule of law. And that's what the index does. So the index looks at a set of outcomes uh, that rule of law societies want to achieve, and ask questions to the public and to experts about what the situation in the country is in practice. So thinking about those factors or manifestations, um, we organize them in eight uh, dimensions or factors, which are constraints on government power, absence of corruption, open government, fundamental rights, order and security, regulatory enforcement, civil justice, and criminal justice. Each one of these dimensions, we disaggregate them further into sub-factors or sub-indicators. For example, when we talk about open government, we measure whether in the country the laws are publicized or whether people have access to information or whether they have access to complaint mechanisms. Uh, or in the same way, when we talk about civil justice, we measure whether people effectively have access to civil justice, whether uh, they don't have to pay bribes, or whether the processes are uh, efficient and enforcement is effective, and so on. So overall, we uh, try to measure comprehensively. Uh, the rule of law in each one of the countries. We have done over the years exercises to um, validate the questions, the indicators, so that they apply to different societies, that we can measure them uh, in different countries with le- different levels of development and so on. This exercise, we have been doing it for several years already. This is the 10th, uh, the 11th year that we have been doing this. And uh, right now we have 128 countries included in the latest edition that we published a few weeks ago.
0: Great, so maybe can you describe a little bit more about how you went about identifying those eight factors? How did you define the rule of law in in those eight categories?
1: So the eight factors essentially measure two broad concepts that have been around in political science for a long time. The first one is whether the law imposes limits on the exercise of authority. So these are the basic conceptions of the, of the rule of law that the government is bound by law. And that is capturing the first four factors, which have to do with uh, checks and balances or limits on government power that essentially look at legislative overview, judicial independence, independent audit, fair elections, and so on. Uh, We also include aspects such as absence of corruption or open government. Uh, And finally, just fundamental rights, considering that the government doesn't use the the authority against its citizens. Uh, The second component measures whether, in fact, the state imposes limits on the actions that people can do um, uh, on their daily basis, on one hand, and that effectively actually uh, fulfills its duties towards its citizens. So that's something basic that every state in the world has to do. And those factors are order and security. In every country in the world, uh, states have to provide order and security to its citizens it provides it includes regulatory enforcement as well so that the laws uh, are effectively enforced for the public good it includes as well civil justice and criminal justice which essentially implies that the state provides a mechanisms so that people can solve disputes and redress grievances in an effective accessible and efficient manner
0: okay great and the information that you use to build the rule of law index scores and rankings comes from uh, surveys two different types of surveys uh, a household survey as you mentioned and an experts practitioner survey Um, alicia let me start with you and ask you to tell us about that data collection um, and in particular the household survey what does that what does that look like how do you do that
3: Sure. So the household survey we call our general population poll, or the GPP. And like you said, it's one of the two main data sources that factors into the WJP rule of law index. The GPP is administered to the general public, and the purpose of it is really to capture people's perceptions and experiences with the rule of law in their countries. Um, So we administer the survey about every two to three years in each country that we include in our index. And we typically conduct it either in-person, so face-to-face interviews, or online. And what we'll do is we'll work with leading local polling companies in each country um, to, to conduct the survey. So we'll hire them to work with us and actually administer the survey in-country for us. We typically poll about a 1,000 people in each country or jurisdiction for, uh, for the household survey. Okay,
0: great. And are they conducting the survey in English? How does that work? Yeah,
3: that's a great question. So the survey is translated into local languages in each country. Um, whatever the, the main local languages or the, the predominant local languages are, um, we'll work with our polling partners to translate the, the survey into those languages so it's better um, understood by, by the general public. Oftentimes it will be administered in English as well, um, but in, in the vast majority of
0: countries, we have at least one other language that the survey is translated into. Okay, and maybe give our listeners a sense of the kinds of questions or issues that you're asking ordinary citizens about. What are, what are you probing on their experience of the rule of law?
3: Sure, so some of the, the topics that we ask about are trust in different people or institutions. So that might be trust in the judiciary or trust in the legislature. We'll also ask about levels of corruption or perceived levels of corruption in institutions. citizens' abilities to um, submit information requests to their governments and receive information in a timely manner, or access to their fundamental freedoms, so ability to um, freely assemble or associate with different political groups or um, civil society organizations in their country. Um, Essentially, access to fundamental freedoms is is a big topic we cover as well.
0: So that generates a real treasure trove of how not only what is the rule of law on the books, um, but how is it being experienced in everyday lives? It's, uh, terrific. So, uh, exactly. Amy, you complement—we complement that uh, that household data with experts' data. Tell us, tell us why. First of all, what why, why do we need uh, expert data alongside the household data, and what does it tell you? And how do we go about that data collection?
2: Sure. Um, to complement the data collection that Alicia just detailed, uh, we use, as you mentioned, what we refer to as our qualified respondent questionnaires, uh, or our, our preferred abbreviation, which is QRQ. And these surveys are completed by in-country practitioners and academics that have expertise in four different fields. We target um, people that have a good understanding of civil law in a particular country, uh, criminal and constitutional law, labor law, as well as public health. And the idea is that these QRQ surveys can explore topics that are a bit more technical than the topics that we cover in the household survey. You can ask someone walking down the street if they've had to pay a bribe to obtain medical care. But if you asked the average person that you ran into outside that has been arrested how long they would wait before they are officially charged, they'd have no idea or they'd be guessing. So these QRQ surveys are designed to supplement the information we collect from everyday people with information about institutions from people that are actually interacting with them on a daily basis. And how do you go about
0: selecting your experts or your, your qualified respondents?
2: That's a great question. And I think it's one of the least understood parts of data collection for the Rule of Law Index. Over the years, our internal research team has actually built a database of practicing lawyers and academic experts around the world. And we've done this a number of different ways. Um, We've relied a lot on um, internet searches of our own, reviewing uh, law firms that we find around the world, um, NGOs, universities, um, that have professors that are teaching these topics in country, and then over um, over time. We've also developed a large network of bar associations and other groups that help us reach in-country practitioners who have expertise in these fields and that are willing to participate in our survey. And that's sort of a never-ending process. Every year, we conduct large-scale outreach to over 30,000 potential contributors, and we work to identify new law firms, bar associations, um, research organizations that are working with this group of people in country to sort of lend their voice um, to the QRQ. Okay.
0: And if one of our listeners wanted to contribute uh, to be a respondent, how would they go about that?
2: Absolutely. Um, The rule of law index report that's featured on our website and in most of our printed materials will have outreach information. Um, And you'll see in the inside front cover some email addresses for um, the WJP where you can get in touch with us and the research team can then review it. And the process for actually inviting people takes a little bit of time on our end. The WJP's research team functions as a polling company in this case. We don't contract external um, polling companies to do this research and instead we manage it entirely in-house so our internal research team uh, reviews cvs for all of the potential participants that we have they gather information to make sure that the people that we're inviting to take the civil law survey for example actually have expertise in that uh, in that subject area
0: okay great and this whole data
2: collection effort uh, how long does it typically take Data collection for the QRQ and the GPP uh, start to finish takes actually around nine months, and some of that time is for setup for the process, some of it is actually managing the data collection effort itself, and then um, some of that is wrap up. But it takes a much longer time than most people would initially think. Collecting primary data is extremely time intensive, and we want to make sure that we are collecting data appropriately and that this information is, is timely. So about nine months um, will be devoted in a given year to data collection. You mentioned that
0: one of the groups of experts that you you interview or you survey are public health practitioners, and particularly given the coronavirus, that's intriguing to me. What do they know about rule of law? Why is their perspective particularly valuable?
2: Absolutely. This is an interesting question. Um, Every year when we invite public health practitioners to participate, we normally get this question a handful of times. Like, I'm just um, a public health practitioner. I'm just a nurse in a hospital. Um, I don't think you meant to invite me. And the answer is that we did. Um, Public health does actually matter for the rule of law. And when you look at the way that we build the index, um, as Alex mentioned, we're really focused on outcomes. So we don't care as much about what's on the books. We want to know what actually happens in practice. And there are a lot of topics related to procurement and corruption that really mean that we need to talk to public health officials to get information about what happens in practice. So when we're talking about fundamental freedoms, one of the index factors, for example, um, a question that we may ask public health experts is if a sick person is seeking treatment for a particular ailment, um, are they at a disadvantage? if they are an ethnic minority or if they're poor? Um, And those sort of questions, really, public health experts are the group to answer those questions.
0: Fascinating. I bet that's a a treasure trove of uh, data that could be quite interesting in the context of the current crisis. Uh, Alicia, let me come back to you and uh, get your uh, take on the Uh, process for translating all of those survey responses um, into scores and rankings. Um, So everybody everybody knows the, the index, this published final product that ranks countries and assigns them each a score. You're gathering raw data in the form of answers to questions from households and from experts How do you turn those answers to those questions into scores and rankings?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So as you might imagine, many of our questions have different sets of responses. Uh, so the first really important step that we need to take is to um, standardize all those responses. And what we do to do that is we assign numbers to each response that people give us in their surveys. Um, so that way, once all of the responses are numerical, we can aggregate them into scores for each sub-factor, factor, and then an overall index score according to our conceptual framework. Um, if you wanna get into the nitty gritty details of how we calculate the scores, you can find that on our website. Um, all of the formulas and for, for each of the factor, sub factor and overall scores are in what we call
0: our variable map on our website. Okay, great. And then turning to the most recent report, the 2020 results, what are the broad trends that emerged in the data in this most recent report? Alicia?
3: Yeah, so it was it was a pretty interesting year. So what we saw this year, well, there, there are a couple of things that I want to highlight. First, what we saw is that more countries declined than improved in our overall rule of law scores for a third year in a row. Um, and actually, a majority of those countries that deteriorated this year, also declined in the previous year so we're seeing kind of a persistent downward trend over the years Um, these declines were widespread we saw them all over the world in each region a majority of countries actually fell backwards or slipped backwards or remained unchanged in their overall since the previous year, um, so it's, it's not just happening in, in one area of the world or one region. It's really happening everywhere. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing. We're starting to see a, a worrying, a worrying trend, but um, an interesting trend nonetheless. The the particular areas um, within the rule of law, I wanted to highlight some of the areas within the index that um, saw the biggest declines. You know, as Mm -hmm. as we've discussed, the index covers eight factors. um, And so you might imagine that some factors improve in a given year and some factors decline. Um, So where we saw the biggest declines this year were in fundamental rights, um, which is factor four, constraints on government powers, which is factor one, and absence of corruption, which is factor two and over a five-year time horizon, those are the three factors that also showed the largest decline.
0: Alex, help us understand these trends that Alicia is describing. It sounds worrisome, but when we look at the scores and the changes year to year, often they're pretty small, just one or 2% change in the score of any country in any given year. Does this mean that nothing is really changing or are those small percentages actually significant? How do we how do we evaluate that?
1: Good question, Betsy. Institutional variables usually change slowly over time. So this is not any different from other variables that are measured um, overall. An example that people may be familiar with is GDP or GDP per capita, for example. Uh, GDP or GDP per capita usually changes by 2%, 3%, which is small, but very significant, if we think in terms of the the sizes of, of economies. This is similar with the rule of law. So the important thing, perhaps, rather than looking at the change in one individual year, is the effect that it can have over the long term. So if these effects accumulate, then there can be significant changes in the institutional structure of countries. Um, that that we should pay attention to. Another thing to consider is that the rule of law is not uh, monolithic. So the rule of law has different components and different components change at different rates. For example, civil justice or criminal justice change very slowly over time. And in some cases, the changes are lower than 1%. But we have to consider that it's very difficult to change uh, the judiciaries or the judicial systems in countries. In contrast, if we think, for example, about other factors that have to do with legislative overview or fundamental rights, those those factors can change significantly from one year to the next. And this is something that we see in the index. In many cases, these dimensions move by much more than 1% in the range of 5%, 7%, or even 10% from one year to the next. And again, when we look at the effects uh, over time, uh, we can see significant effects in these dimensions in the ranges of 25% over the period of four or five years.
0: Great. That's really helpful context. Um, Looking now at the 2020 results, I'm eager to get each of your kind of hot takes. What really jumps out at you as the most important or interesting results in this data, either globally or maybe it's with respect to a particular factor or region or country? Uh Amy can I put you on the spot first what what's your hot take from the data Absolutely. in 2020
2: Absolutely. Um, Globally, I think the key takeaway this year is really not only that there is this global decline in rule of law that we're seeing, but as Alicia mentioned, this decline is being seen in all regions of the world and across all levels of economic development. Um, This is really important and drives home the point that no country is immune to these rule of law challenges.
0: Okay, really uh, important idea to keep in mind, Um, Alicia, let me turn to you, what's your favorite finding of the year? Well, I'd say probably one of
3: the most interesting findings to me is the declines we're starting to see in Europe. So this year, about 50% of countries that we cover in Europe have declined um, between this year and last year in, in their overall rule of law score. So to put it in perspective, Europe is still the region with the strongest rule of law, and actually a majority of countries have experienced improvements in the last five years in their overall rule of law score. But like I said, we did see this year that half of the countries in Europe that we cover have declined in their overall score. So um, we might be starting to see a shift that I think is reflected in the news and media that that we see coming out of Europe um, these days. So I thought that was something that is, is a little bit different um, and
0: might might be indicating a, a change for the future. Interesting, and and that in many ways reinforces the point Amy was making that uh, no region or country is immune from rule of law challenges. We think of Europe as being a, a stronghold for the rule of law, and even there, there are challenges. Uh, okay. Alex, let me ask you, um, what are The most interesting or striking findings in this year's report?
1: Uh, Perhaps the most striking finding comes from looking at the detailed data. It is true that many countries have declined over the previous year and many of them actually have declined over the last five years. However, something interesting when looking at the individual numbers is that the trajectories are not monotonic. What this means is that countries are not always declining or not always improving. And in fact, the relationship or the, the, when we see important changes is when we see changes in administration, particularly during the first year. That um, that implies probably that we have windows of opportunity, particularly during the first year, uh, with uh, with uh, new transitions of government. That uh, we know that sometimes can be challenging, but the most interesting changes happen during the first years.
0: Okay, um, and let me ask you also about some of the uh, rule of law headlines that we. Uh, have seen a lot of over the last year. What, what did the index say about uh, rule of law in the United States and uh, rule of law in Hong Kong?
1: Yes, the, the United States fell for the first time out of the top 20. So this year, um, it scored uh, the score fell by one percent, and then it positioned the U.S. positioned in 21st position behind Spain. Um, So this is a significant trend that we have been seeing over the last few years, and this is mainly driven by changes in factor one, which is limits uh, on government powers. Uh, However, beyond the change that we have seen during the last three years, something that is interesting as well is the lack of progress that the U.S. has shown in dimensions that traditionally uh, the U.S. has scored low, such as absence of discrimination or discrimination in the criminal justice and the civil justice systems. Now, turning to Hong Kong, eh, Hong Kong eh, scored relatively well, so Hong Kong uh, barely moved its position from the previous year. It's only a decline of less than 1%, and it still displays a strong rule of law. Despite some of the protests um, that were um, driven mainly by the extradition bill of last year. So this is important because it uh, talks that despite these challenges, the institutional structure of Hong Kong is still robust. So and it contrasts with the situation that we're seeing in China. China over the last few years have declined in the in the rule of law scores. Right now, it is positioned in 88 position globally and has been uh, decreasing, particularly in factor one, constraints on government power, where it places 123rd right now.
0: So maybe a way to understand the protests in Hong Kong is. Is is less uh, a protest of the rule of law conditions in Hong Kong, and more of a protest against the rule of law conditions and the mainland, and concern about uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, rule of law uh, being affected by that uh, those conditions on the mainland.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a very, a very good way of, of putting it. It's about defending the rule of law situation in Hong Kong.
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, as, we, as we wrap up here, um, help our listeners understand a little bit about the use of this data. Who uses it? Uh, who should use it? And how should they use it? Amy, can, can you
2: help us a little bit on that? Sure. We've designed the index methodology the way that we have because our ultimate goal is that the report can be used as a diagnostic tool to help people identify strengths and weakness within a particular country and that this information can then be used to encourage good policy choices, to guide program development, and to also inform research agendas on rule of law around the world. And it's designed for a wide audience, so you see many different people and organizations using our data. The report is used by governments and aid agencies with some governments, including the Philippines for example, directly incorporating our data into their national development plans. Um, It's also used by NGOs, multilateral organizations, including the United Nations, the Open Government Partnership, and the European Union, as well as businesses to monitor the rule of law situation in countries, to inform internal research that they are conducting, and also set programmatic priorities moving forward. And because of this wide audience, we aim to make the index accessible. To facilitate this, we feature our data and our insights on our website, uh, www.worldjusticeproject.org, where users can sort data by factor, explore information at the country level, and also look at trends over time. Um, Earlier this year, we released a new website for the Rule of Law Index uh, with the release of the 2020 iteration that is much more interactive and accessible for users. So I really encourage all of our listeners to explore the website a bit uh, and take a peek at our rich
0: data super thanks so much and uh, hope folks will uh, take advantage of that invitation uh, to check out the data and see what uh, they can learn about the rule of law in countries of interest uh, to them thanks very much each of you for your uh, description of the index and and then the methodology that's behind it and your insights on some of the key findings this year. Congratulations, for sure, on that monumental effort over the last year. I suspect you're already deep into data collection for next year. Absolutely. Um, before yeah, I uh, before I let you go, um, maybe Alex, um, what can what can folks expect from the WJEP data team next? Um, even before the 2021 index. What what projects do you have in the pipeline?
1: Yes, we want to. First, talking about the index, we want to uh, expand to more countries, add more data, and expand to more areas. So, uh, first, uh, we want to show uh, much more data. We know that there is uh, uh, underlying data, the underlying data of the index is very useful for many people, and we need to try to find ways to show it in a way that uh, really fit the needs of uh, of different constituencies. So that's one area that we're exploring, how to show it, how to visualize it, and so on uh, over the next year. In addition, we are producing several reports or have produced several reports that may use the data uh, from the rule of law index, but more importantly, we are using the same approach. We're trying to put the people at the center, the user at the center, and we have produced reports on access to justice. We have produced reports on environmental rule of law. Uh, we are we have produced reports at the sub-national level and want to expand the reports that we have produced, particularly in Mexico, producing indices at the subnational national level or uh, we have produced as well, or are in the process of producing reports uh, about the situation in the criminal justice system uh, in Latin America. Uh, this is an area that we want to pursue next year, looking at the user experience, uh, either when they navigate the justice system, for example, in the case of those detainees, or the victims when they actually have to report a crime and so on, really understanding what's happening and use that as the basis for evaluation and eventually reform
0: great well it's an ambitious uh, and busy agenda i'm going to let you go and get back to it but thanks again for taking the time to talk a little bit about your work
1: thank Thank you very much
0: thanks a lot